I believe God's up to something really special this morning. I want to get right into it because here's the thing. I had intended uh, for weeks to preach on heaven this week. In fact, I was uh, on Thursday, kind of had that whole sermon ready to go, and I wrote our production director, and I said, it's not good. Uh, I've got a message I really want to preach, but I don't think it's what the text says. That wouldn't be a good thing, would it be? So I, I said, hey, uh, I, I, need to, I need to edit this. I need to change this. And I'm telling you, I believe it's one of those Sundays where God's uh, spirit is doing something pretty unique. And you may have just walked in here and not known anyone. Thank you for coming. We say this every week. We desire to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So if you walked in here and you felt like your hair was going to light on fire for walking through the doors of a church, you have come to the right place. And I'm telling you right now, if you haven't met anybody, we want you to get to know people here this morning. We desire to be a compassionate, loving community wherever you're at and to help you in your spiritual walk. But I say, say all that because as we get into this this morning, we're going to talk a lot about what it looks like to get to know Jesus. Over the next three weeks together, this very short teaching series is a part of our year in the word. We're studying the gospel of John chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's so simple. And, and let me tell you why this is important. If you've been with us the last six or seven weeks, it's been incredible. Uh, we had five more people get baptized at the Freedom Outpost on Monday night. That makes like, I don't know, 25 or so, maybe more in the last uh, six or seven weeks here. Uh, we last week had over 300 people sign up for interest in outposts to live on mission all over our city and state. Can we give it up for Greg and Kimberly and the team for all the work for that outpost tailgate? That we do not desire to just be a worship gathering, but to be a place that truly grow to know Jesus, be discipled, and then to live on mission in our different neighborhoods, communities, to make impact in the ways that our world is going to hell in a handbasket for many people and the light and the darkness is meant to be the local church. And so we're not just gonna gather in a holy huddle on Sunday, are we? We're gonna say, use us to make an impact. And we shared this huge vision of how it, through Multiply Indiana, through the Mercy Road family of churches, we are uh, trying to reach a million people for Christ throughout the state of Indiana. I'm excited to share with you. We have partnered for two more Multiply Indiana church plants this fall. We may have another three planting five churches by the end of this year. God is on the move in a fresh way like we have not experienced before in the history of our church. And it's not about this church or another church. It's about the kingdom of God advancing in our lifetime. But here's the deal. We can give all this grandiose vision, but the truth is a fuel for the fire for all that to occur in every move of God throughout human history were people that had white hot faith and fully devoted to Jesus as Lord of their life. And so we're gonna spend three weeks talking about getting to know Jesus. Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, I already know Jesus. Well, that's, that's great. You can get to know him better. If some of you are like, well, I've been to church, I believe in God, but I don't really, I don't, what do you mean know Jesus? We're, we're gonna talk this morning about the relationship that he had with the disciples that you could have too. Let me set the stage. So in the, in the Gospel of John, you get all kinds of details you don't get in the other Gospels. John was the disciple John. He was not educated. It's the easiest Gospel to actually translate because the Greek, the original language, was a very simple form of writing. 
And he talks about details of the words of Jesus that we don't get in the other Gospels. In fact, when we get to chapter 13, they're having the Last Supper. You remember that famous painting, Da Vinci? That was much later, but you know what I'm talking about? And he's telling them about what's to come. He's going to lose his life. And he even tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. He's like, yeah, you are. And the rooster's going to crow and remind you of it. And we all know that that happens. But right after sharing that of what's to come and Peter's going to deny him, in John chapter 14, he begins with this. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on. Here's what he says in the first verse. And I believe this is really important for us today with our hardship, pain, and suffering this world causes with the war in Ukraine, with uh, Hurricane Ian and the 66 people who have lost their lives that we're going to pray for here in a moment, for the 174 people who lost their lives in a riot at a soccer match in Indonesia this weekend. We don't have to look very far, even in this congregation, this room this morning, or the pain and suffering of individuals to know that things aren't as they should be. And so the disciples, they're freaking out because Jesus is saying all this stuff about how he's not going to be here anymore. And they're like, you're the Messiah. You're supposed to give us, get rid of the Romans and give us our land back. He's like, no, I came to do so much more than that. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you're hurting this morning, if I could encourage you with the hope that we have in, in Jesus, which really is talking about his return and the hope that we have in heaven, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, here's the cool part about that verse. The word believe in the original language, it comes from the Greek word pisteo, which means to believe, have faith, or to trust. The idea that you can believe in God in your head and not trust him with your life is foreign to what every verse in the New Testament says when it says believe in him. Other translations even said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house, he has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. What's he talking about? Now, now Thomas and Philip in a moment are going to have all kinds of questions about that. And if you're like, what, what is he talking about? It's this analogy in the first century that, uh, you know, it calls Jesus the groom, the bridegroom, and we are the bride, that we are in a covenant relationship with him to be known by him and to know him. And actually, it's using this analogy in a wedding in Jewish customs in the first century. Uh, any dads or grandfathers in the room? Uh, if, if your daughter gets married, you build a room onto the house for them to move into. How many of you want to do that? How, how many young couples want to move in with your in-laws? Does that not sound fantastic? The, the Jewish custom was, and it says in my father's house, in older translations, it would say mansion or palace. And, and actually, uh, it means this big, big place, but it, probably a better analogy is not the palace or the mansion, but like a big multifamily living complex. All right? So like you got, your family's got its own personal apartment complex. And he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. We're going to add a room onto the house and you're coming over to hang out with the family for all of eternity. It's talking about heaven. Now, let me clarify. We believe that uh, Jesus, when he is crucified, he tells the thief on the cross because of his faith today, not someday, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
and I'm taking a stance theologically on this, but that uh, when we die, I believe that our soul goes to be with Jesus in heaven. That heaven is the other place where only God and his angels reside and those who have given their lives to, to the lordship of Jesus. And we're gonna talk about how we get there. But one day he's talking about, he's gonna come back. And the second coming of Jesus theologically is when Jesus returns and he's gonna end all the pain and suffering and the enemy will finally be defeated eternally and we will live in paradise with God forever if you've given your life over the lordship of Jesus. That means that heaven and earth will come together just as it was in the original creation in the Garden of Eden, right? God walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. It's gonna be a restoration that you're gonna live in a physical place. You're not gonna be floating on the clouds forever. In fact, in Isaiah and other places, it even mentions animals. Like we are going to have relationship with God, relationship with others, and relationship with creation itself. We're gonna live in perfect harmony the way that God intended it to be. Now, I am intended to preach a much longer sermon on that topic. If you were like, I would like to hear that sermon, just listen to what I preached last week at Mercy Road Northeast. It's online, you can check it out. But what I realize in preparing for this, most of this passage is not about that. He's talking about, he's preparing a house eternally for you. That if you today, regardless of your baggage and past decisions and mistakes and the way you hurt people or the things have been done to you, that you could be made right with the perfect God because of the crucifixion of Jesus atoning for all of your sin and wrongdoing. That he resurrected from the grave, overcoming death itself, that you can live with the family of God forever. That you have hope eternally, the hope of heaven. But then he's going to say, but that's not all. You ever watch an infomercial and they're like, this big thing, you're like, that sounds cool. And they're like, but that's not all. That's not all. It's not just that one day you're going to go to heaven. It's that you are meant for great things, both now and eternally. And we're going to define what great things are. But I want to ask you this question. Do you have hope that great things are coming in your life now and for all of eternity? And some are going, yes, yes, because they're the positive people in the room, right? I love that. I'm a little like that. But the rest of us, you know, you're going like, nope, not at all. It's going to be bad. It's going to be a bad year. The economy's going to be bad. My job's going to be bad. The kid's bad. Eternity, not sure. You know, and if, if, if that's how most of you are this morning, I want to give you some encouragement that we have a lot of hope to look forward to of the great things to come both now in our lives and etern eternally. But I don't mistake that for me. If you give your life to Jesus, you're going to be super wealthy and, and driving a Bentley. That is not what it means. And we're going to dive into what it means. Let's pray together. God, oh man, I, I love that all these people packed out this room this morning, the people attending online, some people don't even know why they're here or watching this, but I believe that you know and your spirit is going before us this morning. And I believe very clearly you told me not to preach what I intended to. And then to come in this morning and see that all of the worship songs the team had already selected lined up with what you were wanting to preach rather than what I was wanting to preach, God. And I just want to acknowledge that you are a great God and we don't deserve to be in your presence. But yet your spirit is with us right now. God, I pray, take my words away through your words, speak to our souls. May it be transformative this morning. And in the pain and suffering of this world, we remember those, the 66 people who lost their lives to Hurricane Ian. 
Remember those who lost their lives in Indonesia and around the world, the suffering, the pain, the war in Ukraine. We, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hold on to that verse. Do not let our hearts be troubled. Trust in you, Jesus. Trust also in you, Father. And so we surrender this morning to you. Use us as a light in a dark time. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God is great, isn't he? I mean, we sing these songs about it. Have you, have you ever met uh, somebody that was truly great before? Maybe somebody in our culture that we hold up with uh, big esteem. Somebody, well, no, maybe even a famous person. Any celebrity sightings out there that you have? I'll, I'll come and share them with me afterwards because I'm sure you have better than me, Joel. I, I don't know if it's like Michael Jordan, somebody like that, but or the president. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, dates that I ever went on was my second date with my wife. And, you know, I really wanted to impress her. So I took her to some fancy restaurant in Hollywood and we get there and we sit down in the table and right next to us was uh, Mary Tyler Moore. And like half of you, like, who's that? <laughs> like, she was this extremely famous person uh, who was on television, all of it, hilarious too. And we sat there and had dinner the whole time just staring at her and we even would use code, we'd refer to her as MTM during the, the meal, as if she didn't understand what that meant, you know? And it was like, this is awesome. But she never uh, made eye contact with us, said hello, or invited us over for drinks. I don't know what, what the problem was, but I was very frustrated. You know, have you ever met a famous person and it kind of let you down? Uh, I remember, uh, <laughs> I've shared this story before, but my wife's favorite celebrity sighting was we were at a, uh, in an airport, and all of a sudden, this guy with bright purple pants walks right by me. And I look up, and I was like, man, he's got blonde hair and a distinct nose. And then I realized it's Owen Wilson. And, you know, I thought, oh, that's cool. Owen Wilson's in the airport. So I turned to Lisa, and I was like, hey, Owen Wilson just walked by. Her eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. Like, she looked at me like, why are you not sprinting? And I'm not joking you. This is the truth. She pushed me out of the way and took off running as fast as she could down the, the, the airport to try and catch him. And she got there, and I don't know why. Owen must have some secret ticket. He didn't have to wait in line at all. He just walked right on the plane, and Lisa never even really got a good photograph. But, like, when you meet somebody famous or a celebrity or someone that has done great things, you often got, you know, choked up and nervous. I can't believe it's them because they're so great and you are not. You ever notice that? Now, here's the thing. Jesus, arguably, is the most famous person in all of human history. We believe as Christians, fully God, fully human, God incarnate, the perfect sacrifice that any of us could go eternally to heaven and experience God and his spirit at work in our lives now. The most amazing, all-powerful God in the world. In fact, in the beginning of the Gospel of John that we're studying, in the first chapter, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And it's talking about Jesus, and he's saying that there was not a time Jesus was not. He was there in the creation of the universe. <laughs> that, 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 God, like he wanted to get to know some teenage kids and pass on the torch of faith to the next generation through them. That, that he, when you met that celebrity, you didn't think about just how he is great, right? King of the universe, all powerful, all knowing, right? Like God incarnate, like he's this amazing thing, but he didn't want to just make himself great. He wanted to make his father great and he wanted to share in his greatness with others. 
The difference between the fame of Jesus and the fame of 21st century people is that they weren't tra- he wasn't trying to make himself great, but to make others great and to make his father great. You could clap. Thank you. Yes, that God is deserving of our worship and praise. And I share that because I want, I want to clarify when we talk about greatness here, we're talking about the humility that Jesus has, that type of greatness. That it's when you meet someone famous, they're known for greatness. The message of John 14 is when you get to know Jesus, that you are meant for greatness because of his work in you. And I want to show that to you. As you get to know Jesus, you can do great things. Big point this morning, very simple. Knowing Jesus in your life leads to great things. Like, I don't know about that. Somebody brought me here. They've been talking to me about Jesus, but I don't know what do you mean great things. I want you to look at the last verses, the last words he's sharing at the Last Supper with the disciples and telling them, hey, we've got this hope in heaven to come, build a room onto the house. But then he's saying, there's more. That you, number one, if you're actually getting to know me, getting to know Jesus, you will also know the Father. Now the Father, the, the power, the authority, the reverence, the might, the supernatural being that you could actually know the Father if you're getting to know Jesus. And I want to break down these next three or four verses, and I bet if you've read this quickly, you didn't get the depth of what's occurring here. Read with me. It says, this is Jesus. He says, you know, look how many times it says the word no. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I'll always love Thomas. He's always got to like, you know, doubt the moment, and he's like, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know. <laughs> no, you know. No, we don't know where you're going. So how can you say we know the way? And then potentially one of the most controversial uh, verses in scripture, this verse uh, preached on one of the first weeks our church ever existed. And we largely started with people that were newer to church. And, and I, I remember this really offended some people that I would say this. But I think this is true about what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They're like, we don't know where you're going or how to get there. What are you talking about? He's like, no, you know, because you know me. And, And then I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through him. And in Western culture, we have this concept that like, if we're a good person and, you know, we believe in the concept of God, and we behave better than some of the bad behavioral people, and we preach some good self-help sermons that help us behave better at work and at home, then God will be pleased with us when we die, and we really want to go to heaven and not that other place, so we're getting in, baby. And it's not what it says. The only way anybody, from a Christian perspective, the only way anybody gets into heaven is because you know Jesus. Period. Because he was the perfect sacrifice covering up for a sin and wrongdoing. He's the one that overcame death itself. He was fully God, fully human. He wasn't just a normal human being. He came from uh, another place. He had the power and the authority to defeat Satan and the enemy. And I believe this is so important because look what it says next in verse 7. If you really, again, know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you see how many times it said no? And I want you to see in this passage, in the New Testament Greek, there are two words for our English word, no. The first word is oida. 
The root of it is oida. It means to know, but it means to like know completely, fully, right? Like it's fact, like you know everything about it. Two plus two is four. The other way of knowing is to know progressively over time to come to get to know, and that uh, Greek word is gnosko. And this is really interesting. They use both words in these verses. Let's read it again. Verse seven, you know completely, oida, the way to the place I'm going. So now you know why he's confused. He's like, uh, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know completely where you are going. So how can we know completely the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really, now get this, are getting to know, are progressively getting to know me, you will know completely, Oida, my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. It's saying that if you're really getting to know Jesus, that then you will get to know the complete work of your heavenly father, his power, his authority in your life. Here's why that's so important. How, you know, if we say here, the only way to get in is you get to know Jesus. And some of you are sitting there going, well, I don't know everything about him yet. And I believe in God, but I don't know him very well. I want to encourage you this morning. I believe that there's a moment in time where you step across the threshold that you receive salvation. So don't confuse this as a gray area with that. But what I'm saying is that you don't have to put the pressure on yourself, that you don't have the perfect relationship with Jesus yet. That as you get to know him over time, then you will get to know the complete power and authority of your heavenly father. It will begin to be present in your life. If you're getting to know Jesus, the Father will be near to you, not far from you. We have this idea that our Heavenly Father is just some you know, distant, ancient, spiritual being that is far away from us, that doesn't really care about what's going on in our lives and has any rele- relevance to the real things happening. Our job, our finances, our home, our children's, our dating life, our, our marriage, our grandkids, our addictive habits. We could go through the laundry list of concerning issues in our life and we think God doesn't have any real relevance. I I don't wanna go to hell, but like I'll worry about that when I get closer to death. I wanna tell you this morning, the most powerful thing about the good news of Jesus is that you can actually get to know him. He's not some big celebrity that is like distant from you. He invites you in. If some of the young people were like, you use those old people as celebrities, I don't know who you're talking about. Let me give you an example. Pretend just a moment that Tom Holland and Zendaya, I say Zendaya because I was at the high school ministry a couple months ago. I said Zendaya and they were aghast. (laughs) How dare you, Zendaya? Like imagine that that couple got done shooting Spider-Man and they ran into you on the street and they're like, hey, What's up? You want to hang out with us? Come over to our house. We're going to build a room under our house. You can hang out, be part of the family and join us for dinner. The God of the universe says he wants to do that with you. He wants to know you that bad. And we take it for granted and treat it like, yeah, yeah, he's got to say that. No, like he really wants a relationship with you that you're getting to know him over time so that you can see the work of the father in your life. Let me give you an example. Uh, so I told him I was gonna talk about him this morning. He didn't give me permission, but it's okay. Uh, David Rothenberg, I don't know why I've shared about him a couple times recently. He's in the back there. He won't wave or even say hi, but I'll tell you, uh, he started coming here a number of years ago. Uh, wasn't a Christian at the time. I can share that. It's okay. And uh for three years he attended, uh, 
And he, he you know, like many people, I, I get this a lot, uh, they come and say, hey, I want you to prove that, that God is real and that Jesus is real. And they don't know I'm not that smart. So <laughs> I don't do that. I usually encourage them, well, if God is real, you should try getting to know him. I was like, if you, you tried praying, began to pray, and this isn't just with David, this is with other people, um, began to pray and started seeing some answered prayers. And over time, uh, began to hear from God more and more and then was struggling with, okay, but is, should I, is he really God, Jesus, right? And so he said, hey, what should I do? And I was like, well, you've been talking to him for three years. Why don't you ask him if he's God or not? And, and I share this um, in humility because I've talked to David many times about this. And uh, I'm a music guy. He's kind of a music guy. And he went into Dick's Sporting Goods after praying that prayer and, uh, hey, God, if, you're, if Jesus is God and I should worship him, then, like, make it clear, walks in. And the, the song by Fat Boy Slim, Praise Him, is playing on the loudspeaker at Dick's Sporting Goods. And, man, he's telling me this. And I don't, you know, I won't speak for David. I'll speak for myself. I remember the emotion of him telling me that. Just how incredible God is. That he cares and hears and desires that you would get to know him over time. And what I remember, Darren was up here last week and did a great job preaching. And uh, David, his whole faith journey began when he heard uh, Darren preach at a church. Uh, it wasn't Mercy Road, but he, he said, I think we really need to hear from God. And if we're going to talk about hearing from God rather than just teaching on it, what if we actually expected to hear from him? And then Darren laid down on his face on the stage for the next 30 minutes trying to hear from God. <laughs> which is what I'm going to do for the remainder of this sermon right now. No. Um, and, you know, people were like, well, that was the sermon? Uh, David was so moved that he actually, Darren actually thought he was going to hear from God. He was like, maybe I should search, search this thing out. I want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know him yet, he desires to get to know you and you can reach out to him and over, progressively over time, you can gnosko him, know him in that way. Sometimes it takes time. Number two, if you're taking notes, you won't just know the Father. If you're getting to know Jesus, you will see the Father. This might be even more important, that we take for granted the story that God is already writing in our lives. Look what happens next. Of course, Philip then has to pipe up. He said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Like, if all this is going to be true, then just show us the Father. Jesus answered, don't you gnosko me? know me? Aren't you getting to know me? Haven't you seen things already? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? He's like, remember the, the fish and the loaves? Like, I've had 5,000 people. You remember Lazarus? That was just like days ago. What's wrong with you? Like all of the miracles that Jesus performed. And sometimes my brain, this is probably heretical, but I always wonder, were there other things that Jesus did that didn't even get written down? Bartholomew is like, remember the time, Bartholomew, you were getting lippy with Jesus and he levitated you upside down just to prove a point, you know? That's really bad. That's definitely not true. But like, right, like think about it for a second. You've seen and witnessed the power of God and you're like, show us the Father. What are you talking about? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Like, I, I really believe 
12 years ago, in a moment of prayer, God said, move to Indiana, start a church, and three friends of, of yours from high school, we're going to help you. And the first three people out of 40 who actually said yes to join the church were these three friends. One wasn't a Christian. All, all, you know, one of them came up with the name Mercy Road. Two of them were baptized. I mean, just everything said happened. Like, I've seen God, like literally in the first year we started the church, we needed $500 for something. We didn't know where it was going to come from. And somebody wrote us a check that day for $500 who didn't attend our church and didn't know about the issue that we had. When we started the church, we needed $20,000 for the equipment. And we are a month away from starting and we didn't have the money. <laughs> and found out about something in Florida where they were going to give away uh, $25,000, the church plant with the best master plan. I thought we have a plan. So I sent it to them, went down there, found out we were one of the nine finalists for the grant. Didn't know that only nine people applied. Um, <laughs> flew down to Florida on Allegiant because we were desperate and got down there. And uh, we ended up uh, winning the grant, brought it back. The church raised money to match it. We had more than enough money to start the church. You know, it's just like every time God showed up. When we, when we first moved into this very first building, we didn't have the money for it. And a church that uh, raised $400,000 in two months, which everybody told us was absolutely impossible. It's unbelievable that how much we doubt and we miss what God is up to. Darren was up here last week talking about how him and I, years before we moved here, met on an airplane. That's a true story. Dave was there because Darren laid on his face during a sermon. And then we've just met like the first week. Eric Maitland, who's up here leading worship, when I first became a follower of Jesus in 19 in the fraternity house, I had all these questions. And at the end of college, I went to seminary in Southern California to answer those questions. And my roommate in seminary was a guy named Chris Lambert, who was a fraternity brother of Eric Maitland. In fact, uh, Chris and Eric have matching tattoos on their back, by the way. I thought you wanted to know that little fact. What are the chances of that, that we would be like that? Like God is at work in ways we will never fathom or understand because we are not God. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus says. We're freaking out and worried about every little detail in our lives. And what I want to encourage you today is that if you're getting to know Jesus, you're going to get to see the father who made the sun stand still, made the Red Sea part. He can handle the concern about your employment that you're having today. He can handle the concern about the marriage issues, the addictive habits that you're struggling with. But I, I've met so many people who feel so distant from God, wonder where he is. Why isn't he working? And my question is, are you daily reaching out to him and crying out to you? him in prayer. And look, sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers the way we want. I get that. But he is present. He is not far from us. Jesus says, if you're getting to know him, the father will be seen in your life. And I can tell you, I've experienced that. And many of you have as well. Finally, number three, if you're getting to know Jesus, you won't just see the father. You won't just know the father. You will get to do the great works of the father. You will do greater things. Look what it says in verses 12 to 14. Very truly, I tell you, whenever whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, the word greater there, if you're like, what are these greater things that he is talking about? It's the word uh, metzonos. 
And it's the same word that is used in Hebrews 9.11 to talk about the greater place that Jesus is from. His sacrifice was not just like an animal sacrifice that helped you draw near to God and be forgiven for your sin for that one time where the animal got what we deserve. But this perfect high priest got up onto the altar as the ultimate sacrifice for all time that no matter where you've been, what you've done, what you're struggling with today, if you're willing to get to know him, you can know his salvation fully and be forgiven for anything in your life, but it takes the humility and repentance to say that I need you because he is greater and he has the authority and the power to do that. Another place that word metzenos is used just a couple of chapters later, one chapter later in John 15, verse 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater, metzenos, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He has called you to do great things if you've experienced and seen the work of the Father. But don't confuse those great things about your own self-aggrandizement to be used for our own personal gain, to build our own personal kingdom, to add our own personal room onto our personal house. The type of greater that he's describing, the greater things that you could experience is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and being, the Shema, and the other one that is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments, to love God and love others. And the way that we have greater Mazenos love in our community is that as you've experienced and seen the work of the Father, you have no choice but allow that to flow out to others around you. And don't miss next week. We're going to look at John 15. This is working of the spirit of God. As you abide in him and are obedient to what he's doing, he will do these great things in and through you. But if you're here today and you're like, I just want to get through my work week. And for you to encourage me this morning, I want to do that this morning, but I want to do so much more to tell you that no matter what pit you find yourself in today, no matter how many troubles you have, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Jesus that today, because of his work, you can and are meant for great things eternally and now. You are the son or the daughter of the living king. That's why it's a kingdom that is advancing. The authority and the power to make this world different. By the way, the, the taste of heaven we can get now are things like when we get to heaven, is everybody gonna look like each other? No, we're all going to look different. Different ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses, different cultural backgrounds, all coming together, surrounded by the love of God and the love of each other. And we can begin to see those workings happening in our life where there is pain and suffering and division and divisiveness and anger and animosity that believers in Jesus Christ say, no, we in the same family going to be living in the same house so we're going to build a room on and we're going to start treating each other the way that God desires us to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for those in your sphere of influence. I know I'm getting passionate this morning, but because I believe like God really wants us to get this. Your workplace, the only place they're ever going to experience the love of Jesus, get to know Jesus is, is through you. The only place we're looking for everybody to fix our kids. But, but if we get to know Jesus and we know the Father fully, we are going to get his power and authority to help raise our children into people who love Jesus. 
I know we're worried about the culture and all the things they're teaching our kids, but get to know Jesus and he, his power and his authority will supersede anything in this world. But it takes investing in him, praying to him, worshiping him, fasting, uh, r- r- obediently responding by putting our resources at first 10%. God, it's yours because I want to trust you in my life to use me. I want to see you advance the kingdom and unreached people groups. I want to see those who are hurting in our culture today and who are underprivileged, that I'm going to start complaining about things and start making a difference because I have the fuel of Jesus Christ in my life. I'm getting to know him so that they may fully know our heavenly father. And I believe as we do that, we will see God's kingdom expand in all the ways we've been describing the last seven weeks. And we are beginning to see, we've gotten a taste of it. And I'll end with this. I think sometimes we think that means if I'm gonna do greater things, I gotta start like a nonprofit, come up with some big vision. Look, God may call you to those things, but it actually didn't start like that. Sometimes it starts simply with loving our neighbor as herself. Yesterday, I told you I had to revamp this whole thing. And I was like, okay, God, whatever, I'll do it. And uh, as I was getting ready to do all of that, uh, a woman brought over last night, JC Miller. Some of you may know her. She goes to Northeast a lot today, but uh, she came in and uh, to our house and uh, she said, hey, I got an apple pie for you. Now, if you have never had JC's apple pie, you don't know Jesus. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable. And uh, she said, I made one for my husband and one for the Hoosmans. And then I made a third one and I didn't know what to do with this. So I'm just going to give you two pies today. I was like, double blessing of the Lord. This is amazing. Elisha has nothing on this. And so I, uh, you know, we ate a lot of pie last night is the point of that story. But sometimes we think, I started thinking about this, that, oh, what's it look like to really live like Jesus, love like Jesus? She took the time to take apples, cut them up, turn them into papaya, drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one direction, just to drop some pies off at her house to tell us that she cares and loves for us. Sometimes it's those simplest acts that Jesus demonstrated for us are the greater things he's calling us to do. What's he asking in your life today to do? Will you pray with me, God? Two things. One, The truth is, as we talk about knowing you, Jesus, there's some, maybe many people, I got to imagine many people in this room or attending online who they believe in you, God, but they don't know you, Jesus. And rather than feeling guilt or shame about not really having a relationship with you, we could change that this morning. And it starts by gnosko, getting to know you, opening ourselves up to you. If that's you in the room, you would begin to get to know him whether it's to, to fully commit your life to him or even to give your life to him for the very first time. I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I want to get to know you. This morning, I give up my pride. I repent of my sin and I surrender my life to you because I want to get to know you in the coming weeks, months, and years. And then for those of us in the room that maybe you know that you know Jesus, but but you've been looking for, what does it look like? What are the great things he's calling you to? Maybe he's putting something specific, a simple way to start loving others in your life. And we're gonna respond in obedience over the next three weeks together. Pray this with me. God, we get rid of our pride this morning. We need you. You are great. We are not. Thank you for letting us share in your greatness. Now use us, Jesus. We give you our time, talents, and treasures. We wanna be obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.